Hello, and welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Playbook by Outlier Academy, where we decode what the top 1% of iconic founders, renowned investors, best-selling authors, and outlier thinkers have mastered and what they've learned along the way. In each episode, we dive deep to uncover the tools, strategies, habits, routines, and hacks that we can all apply in our own work and lives, all in about 20 minutes. I'm Dano Scribner, and on the show today, I'm joined by Abby Levy, co-founder and managing partner of Primetime Partners, which is a venture capital firm that Abby co-founded with venture legend Alan Patrickroff of Greycroft and Apex Partners fame, which specializes in what they call age tech, or technology around the future of how we age. Before founding Primetime Partners, Abby had an epic career. She worked at McKinsey, she's worked at OXO, she led growth at SoulCycle, and she even co-founded Thrive with Ariana Huffington. In this episode, you'll learn why Abby is fascinated with research from the World Health Organization, showing that starting in 2007, about 50% of the U.S. population will live to reach the age of 100. We talk about the implications of living to 100, including what having more chapters in your life might look like, and how life changes when it's a marathon and not a sprint. Abby shares her superpower, which is her ability to cut through the noise and get to the key issue in every discussion. She shares her favorite books, including Atul Gawande's Being Mortal, and she talks about her love of history and why she owns Edward Rutherford's epic historical novels on London, China, Paris, Russia, and many other countries. She talks about why she thinks business schools are doing a disservice to the next generation of business leaders by not talking about the personal life and how we can integrate that into leading a business. And she shares why she thinks it isn't about being a specialist or a generalist, but deciding what you want to major in and what you want to minor in, and making sure that you always have a major. You can find a searchable transcript for this episode, as well as our episode guide with a recap of the books and ideas we cover at outlieracademy.com slash 135. That's outlieracademy.com slash 135. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Abby Levy of Primetime Partners. Abby, I am thrilled to have you on 20 Minute Playbook. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm pleased to be here, Daniel. Thanks for including me. So I'd love to jump right into the questions. Uh, The first question that we always start with is if you can share a recent fascination. What have you been fascinated or obsessed by recently? What can't you stop thinking about? I've been fascinated by the 100-year life. Um, The fact that uh, there's a recent World Health Organization report that 50% of people born after 2007 in the developed world will live to be 100. So 50% of our society will be centenarians, and I plan on being one. And so if you knew, if you, if you were guaranteed a hundred year life, how, what would you do differently? How would you think about it? How would you plan for it? How would you live it? So that has been a fascination that I have shared with my peers and my, my community. And I think it's, it's a real stumper. Yeah, that is a really deep question. And, and, you know, you don't have to give away the whole enchilada or kind of how you've thought about that in a really deep way, but at a high level, how have you thought about what that changes and what that means? I think it just means there's just different chapters. There's different chapters to your own personal development, your professional development, to your relationships, um, to your marriage, to, to, to your, just how how you pace yourself. It's like, if you knew you were going to run a marathon versus a sprint, what would you do differently? Um, and so I, 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 a lot. Yeah. So I think it reframes a lot of questions. Yeah. That's fascinating. 
Um, the second question I'd love to ask you um, is, you know, you've spent your career working at some incredible companies from uh, McKinsey in your early years to SoulCycle, where you led growth for a number of years. What did you take away from the culture, values, and approach of both of those companies? Because I think they're both iconic in, in different ways. I think delivering value to <laughs> your community matters, uh, whether that's your peer group and the people you work with, whether in the case of McKinsey, it's your clients. In the case of OXO, it's your consumers. Is that if you add to people's lives, um, that's how you have a role in this world, um, as it, certainly as a business and potentially as a human. Um, so I think that's the, the piece that I've kind of taken away from those cultures is that your job is to serve other people. Um, and, um, that's how you stay in your job. I mean, that's a great lesson to take away. I don't think everyone takes that lesson away from business. <laughs> so I love that approach and that framing. Well, I think, I think part of it is, is that really because brand, particularly at a company like OXO and even at McKinsey, you know, our first week of training, I was, you know. 21 years old. And they said, you know, you are stewards of our brand. And, you know, the same thing with, with OXO is it's a brand that consumers love. And so your job is to help them love it more. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, similarly, you've co-founded uh, two separate companies. Um, you know, the first one was with Ariana Huffington, that was Thrive. And then recently with Primetime uh, Partners, that's now Alan Patrikoff. Uh, two exceptional people, two people that, you know, for people in the know, uh, they definitely recognize those names. These are big, I would imagine these are, uh, you know, kind of legends to work alongside. What lessons have you taken away from working with them or just being around them? Oh, I mean, I think there's thousands of them. Um, I think one of the lessons is to shut up and listen um, when you're around people who are more experienced than you are. I'm the young, I'm the youngest in my family, the youngest in my generation, and so I've always kind of been open and welcome to um, the advice of of people who are more experienced and typically older than I am. Uh, but Ariana, I mean, there was I, I probably have ten different words of wisdom or phrases of wisdom that I've carried out you know, out into the world. Um, and so the same thing with Alan, you know, um, but I think the piece that is really important with having a co anything, whether it's a co-founder or a partner really comes down to values and having similar values of not just what you want to build, uh, but how you want to interact with people. And it's been really amazing partnering with Alan because, you know, he's worked with dozens and dozens of investors in his, his career and I just think we see eye to eye on so many things because we have the same values. Um, everything down to we had lunch today and the server comes over and they say, tap bottled or sparkling. And we look at each other, we're like, obviously tap. Like, why are we going to waste money on <laughs> bottled or sparkling? So, you know, those values go from expense policy all the way through to, um, you know, what investments to make. So well said. I'd love to switch gears and talk about the areas where you think you have an edge or a superpower. And I know superpower can maybe seem like a loaded word. But you know, the way that I kind of think about that is we all have a couple areas in life, it could be how we're wired, it could be what we're attracted to, it could be just elements of our personality that you know, we're, are ingrained in us and that show up in the way we work uh, day to day. What do you think of as your superpowers or areas where you have an edge? And how does that show up in your work? Well, I think I can only share what I've heard from other folks, uh, because it's hard to have perspective on yourself. Um, but actually, it was just today that one of my colleagues kind of said to me that I, I get to the key issue very quickly. Um, and I think one of the benefits of having started my career in consulting, and frankly, I'm the daughter of a small business owner, 
is that I've always kind of been able to get to the key issue, whether that's on advising a friend with what choices they should make in their professional life to evaluating a business. I kind of hone in on this is the thing you need to figure out um, versus always trying to know everything about everything. And so I think in that sense, it's been helpful to the people I've worked with to kind of, you know, they've asked me, well, what's Abby's point of view? Because I can oftentimes assimilate all the data and look through the noise and kind of see the forest through the trees. So that's what I would kind of say is probably a superpower is just getting to the critical issue uh, pretty succinctly and and, um, not always right, but a, a good direction to look at. Yeah, you can get in the ballpark very quickly and you can mm-hmm. obviously sort through signal and noise. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. And then I think the other piece that I'm kind of, of proud of is I think generosity is really important in life, but also in our business of investing. Um, and so when I started Primetime, I'm, I'm, I was new to being a venture capitalist, not new to being, a, 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 you know, building a business. I mean, Primetime is a startup. <laughs> um, but I think I really am very comfortable giving before getting. And I think that's something that I teach my kids and, you know, is, is I wouldn't say a superpower, but I think it's a value that can become a superpower um, because it's authentic. I want to ask one more follow-up question, something you just said about primetime being a startup. Um, you know, you have had some enormous successes and some enormous experiences in your career. What gave you the comfort to be willing to take the leap and kind of hit replay and go back to a small company where you're starting from day one and building it from scratch? What gave you the conviction and, uh, you know, just the ability to take that leap? I didn't think it was a risk. Um, There is no leap. I mean, I I don't want to get too much about primetime, but it's such a no brainer. And it was just all I thought about for, you know, in the shower on my, you know, anytime I met somebody, you know, at a certain point, and I'm sure a lot of founders who are listening recognize it, that it just becomes a bit of an obsession where it's not a risk. It's not a leap. It's just, you know, divine intervention in a way. It's like, you have no choice, but to do this thing. And <laughs> I, I had no choice, but to start this fund. It was just too big an opportunity. Um, and there were too few uh, barriers. Like there was nothing stopping me from doing it, um, to be honest. So I think it's a wonderful perspective to have on it. One of the things I love to do is ask guests about um, some of their favorite books. When you think of books that have had an outsized impact on you, or books that you give away that you recommend to others, what comes to mind? I mean, there's a couple of different um, pieces here. I mean, I love historical fiction. So Mm. I'm saying for for pleasure, I often (laughs) share... No, I'm serious. Like I think we learn a lot from history. History has always been my favorite topic. Um, and so there's books, uh, the author Rutherford wrote books on London and Russia and Alaska. And so you kind of understand life through this much longer lens, especially as Americans with such a short history, like just a, a much longer lens. And so I usually recommend historical fiction, but within the work world recently with primetime, I've been recommending two books. Um, one is, um, Atul Gawanda's book on, um, you know, on basically preparing for and thinking about death. Um, and the other is a book um, called Ageism, um, a manifesto. And it is a book that really speaks to how we're not aware of all the bias around aging and older people um, 
globally. And both of those books have set a tone for, for me of how I think about the types of businesses that we want to support at prime time, which are really very much focused on the user experience of aging. Um, and so, you know, really shifting the narrative from uh, this kind of different population, a pop, you know, we talk about seniors as if they're other. Uh, and both of these books uh, really focus on the human experience of aging and, and deciding how we want it to be um, versus prescribed by the institutions around us. So uh, those are books that we've shared with our LPs. Those are books that I often talk to. And the, the number of people in the age tech community that are aware, read them, I mean, most people have. We'll try to get those books into a couple more people's hands. We'll link to those in the show notes um, of this episode. One of the questions I wanted to ask was, um, you know, as you kind of mentioned a few minutes ago, you're new to venture investing, but you've had a lot of time building companies in, in different spaces and in different spans of your career. How has that you know, length of time and those set of experiences inform the way you've approached investing and working with founders? It informs everything. I mean, the number of times a a founder is so excited to have an investor who's been an operator. I mean, it's pretty typical. And I was the same when, you know, we raised money for Thrive. You know, it was when you had an investor who had experience, whether it was in B2B sales or, um, you know, product build, you know, it just adds, it, it's, it's, easy, it's an easier partnership because you have that, that tap into that knowledge. Um, so I think there's a piece of this that having been a, a former founder and operator makes the relationship with founders easier because I walked in, the, I haven't walked in their shoes, but I have, you know, I have, I have some empathy for it. Um, and also I'm very tactical, um, because I know it's all about who we can introduce you to, to help you get the sale. Um, that's, that's your job as a, and also because I do pre-seed to series A, you know, our job is trying to help folks get the sale, uh, cause that's what you need to get going. Mm-hmm. We're pretty tactical and focused on that. I think the other piece is just, um, being a comfortable with the experimentation. Um, you know, we got asked, we got asked, I got asked a lot of times around what's your minimum check size? Um, what is your uh, minimum ownership amount? Uh, you know, all, all these things that I think other funds for probably maybe to their benefit have a much stricter paradigm. And I think because this is fund one of a first time fund, we are learning by doing, we are in, I'd say 12 different categories. We've done incubations to series B. There's no founder I we won't talk to. You know, we're 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 process, we process, but it's flexible. Um, and so I don't know if that's good or bad. It's certainly time intensive. Uh, but I would say I think part of that is just our common spirit of viewing prime time as an entrepreneurial venture as much as, as it is an established, you know, investment fund. I want to ask two closing questions. And, you know, the first one is a little bit earlier, you talked about approaching life as if it's chapters. And, and one of the things that kind of stood out to me looking at your background, I'm sure maybe looking back, it seems linear, but from the outside looking in, it, it does not seem linear at all. And, and so some of the questions that bubble to mind is, you know, one, how have you thought about and approached your career? And part of the reason I'm asking that is I'm a big fan of nonlinear careers, but I think a lot of people think there's risk in doing that. So I just love it. If you could share your experience on how you've approached your career and the moves within it. Gosh, I wish it was planned. Uh, it was <laughs> not planned. Um, I think there's a couple of, of things that I 
only in hindsight am I able to look back on and and find as kind of threads, you know, one is to double down on what you're good at. I know we're supposed to understand our blind spots and work on our weaknesses, but ultimately you're most successful in what you're good at. Um, and the places where I've had the most trouble in my career are when I was doing something that not what that was stretching me, but actually was just not what I was good at. Like the majority of my day wasn't what I was good at. And we all know that. I mean, I was, you know, I was president of my sorority. I was president of my senior class. Like I've always been in sales. I mean, that's what those jobs are. They're social and they're in sales. And guess what investing is? It's the biggest sales job there is. You know, you're selling founders and you're selling the next round of funders. Um, And so I think recognizing that that has always, you know, leaning into what you're naturally good at and go back to your childhood and say, you know, what are those things that I gravitate to, I think is one of it. I think the second piece that I didn't plan for and wish I had planned for is I always knew that having a family was important to me. And actually, when the um, the new, this is maybe a decade ago, the new dean of Harvard Business School, my alma mater, um, you know, came into town and was, you know, meeting one-on-one with some alumni. And, you know, he said, you know, do you have any advice? And I said, I think we're doing a disservice to this next generation of business leaders by not talking about the personal life and, and life choices they want to make. Every case, whether it was at Stanford Business School, Harvard Business School, never touched upon the leader's personal life. And by not talking about your personal life, you are doing a disservice to folks to not have them think about those decisions in concert with their professional life. And I don't think I would have chosen a different career. I was always bound for business. Uh, But I think it was only in reaction to, wait, you know, I have three kids. I have a husband who works all the time. Like, how are we going to do this? It was reactionary versus planned. And so it's not a gender issue. It's not being a mom or a dad. And I in some ways, it's been a wonderful byproduct of COVID that everyone has been starting to think about this integration of work and life. It's not about balance. It's about integration. And so I, I do believe that I ended up making choices because I was thinking about how to integrate the two. But I do wish I would have had a better lens at a younger age to predict forward, which also then dovetails with this 70-year career notion, which is if you're living to 100, I've got a 70-year work life. Not everything has to be done at age 28 or 29. And so I do, um, I'm happy I have the perspective I have now at being almost 48 of what my next 30 years of my career is going to be, because I'm looking at it from this life work integration and how to think about it. But I would definitely, I don't know if that answered your question, but I do think that it's something that by default I had to do, um, but wish that there was more, um, uh, predetermination with it. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think you did an amazing job. I think it's one, it's a point no one else has made. Um, and two, I think it's, I think it's a wonderfully made point, which is that at the end of the day, we all are whole beings, we all have to juggle all of these areas of our lives, ideally, well, you know, I don't know many people that want to be a bad husband or a bad wife or a bad parent. But those are the things you grapple with when not everything is kind of considered as a, as a whole and as being holistic. Um, it's an incredibly great point. The last question I'd love to ask you is if you could go back to the start of your career, and may, or maybe this is even when you're in college and you're preparing for your career, and you could whisper some words of wisdom, words of advice, uh, maybe a reminder in your ear, is there anything that you would tell your younger self? Well, I mean, one thing I would say is, you know, maintained my contact book and CRM better, because there's people I've <laughs> known or worked with when I was younger in my career. And 
you know, I didn't keep in touch with them, but LinkedIn has solved that. No, I I think I probably would talk a bit about continuous learning and expertise. Um, You know, we live in an environment where um, increasingly uh, people can access information um, anywhere, anyhow, access people. Again, I mentioned LinkedIn. It's my favorite place to be on social media. Um, So therefore, becoming an expert in something or some things um, that can be hobbies, but it can also just be within your professional domain. I think there's no room for being, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep anymore. Um, and I think that expertise is gratifying, but also adds value then to the rest of the ecosystem. Um, and so maybe because I started my career in a place like McKinsey, where you were forced to kind of become an expert quickly um, on a lot of things, I have found that that now that that expertise is what I look for when I hire people, when we work with people is just, and and I encourage folks and I wish I had become an expert earlier um, in the place where I'm focusing, but I am building upon that now. And I do think that expertise matters. I'm going to ask one more question, which I'm typically not supposed to do, (laughs) but I have to on this one. How do you balance expertise and being a generalist. You know, you talked about not being a mile wide and an inch deep, but I think something that I grapple with, I assume something a lot of other people grapple with is this idea of how much to be a generalist and how much to be an expert. Do you have thoughts there? Well, I think uh, I do have thoughts there. Um, I think you need to, it's like a major and a minor. You need to pick your major um, and whatever that is. So for example, prime time, it's going to be around consumer behavior of an older population. I mean, that's what we're building expertise in and we're minoring in everything else. So you better invest heavily in, in your major. Um, and you know, it's like a language you're fluent and you're proficient, you know, you can be to be fluency takes time and, and, and effort and proficient takes, you know, exposure. So I just, you know, and, and I think, Daniel, if you were pushed to say, what are you an expert in? You would come up with a couple of things that you are an expert in. And you're certainly an expert in what you're doing right now on this podcast. Um, and so that is creates value for, for, the wor- for yourself and for the world. So I still push towards everybody has an expertise in something. Yeah, you can't just minor in everything and have no majors. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> Which makes sense. I, and I think, I think most people, very few people who are successful do that no no it's not a thing well i could ask you a million more questions we'll stop here for today thank you so much for coming on abby this has been so much fun thank you for having me this has been fun yeah thank you so much for listening you can find a searchable transcript for this episode as well as our episode guide with the video version of this interview and a list of articles books and interviews to go deeper on aging and age tech at outlieracademy.com slash 135 that's outlieracademy.com slash 135 and you can learn more about primetime partners at primetimepartners.com for more from abby levy listen to episode 136 of outlier academy where we profile primetime Partners, which is a venture capital firm that Abby co-founded with venture legend Alan Patrikoff, which specializes in age tech and the future of how we age. To listen to that episode, simply visit outlieracademy.com slash 136. That's outlieracademy.com slash 136. For more from Outlier Academy, 
Follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash outlieracademy and visit Outlier Academy for more incredible investor interviews profiling NFX, Graycroft, Pantera Capital, the Compound Kings ETF, Dry House Capital, and many more incredible investment firms. We'll see you right here with a brand new episode next Tuesday.